To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Two very big words. Well, of course, because he has only the best and the biggest words. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California, on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon, on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW Eugene. Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii, on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, but today you got me again. I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show at nicolesandler.com, filling in for Brad and Desi as they take a much-deserved and needed day off as the world has gone mad. So what we're going to do today is cover the latest in the insanity that is the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. But then we're going to take a little break from it because everywhere you turn, it's COVID-19, coronavirus this, pandemic that, and there's other stuff going on. We're still in the midst of a presidential primary. Oh, my goodness. And, well, we're not even really going to deal with that. But I will tell you what happened. A couple of weeks ago, I was bemoaning the fact that my former cable news channel of choice, MSNBC, seems to have gone the way of the never-Trumper, right? I've been frustrated that the place that used to feature a lot of progressives has recently given way to former Republicans and the faction that I like to call conservadems. And it popped into my head a memory of Lawrence O'Donnell, the host of The Last Word on MSNBC, of a time when he went on television and proclaimed that he was a socialist. And so I called him out about it on Twitter and wondered about the disconnect between a channel that constantly disses Bernie Sanders and Lawrence O'Donnell's self-proclamation of being a socialist. And much to my surprise, he engaged with me. But you know how it gets on Twitter. It's hard to have a, a conversation on Twitter. And so finally, I asked him if he would come on my show. And again, to my surprise, he agreed. So it happened. It happened on Wednesday. And it was such a great conversation 
that when Brad asked me if I could fill in for him today, I thought, sure. And then I thought, ooh, I can take our collective minds off of the coronavirus and share my conversation with Lawrence O'Donnell. Because it's a good diversion from the collective stress that we're all experiencing. So let's start off the way I usually do, with a look at the news, the stuff that's making all our heads spin, and then we'll put it all aside a little later. All right, but let's start with, well, Donald Trump's Friday afternoon press conference, shall we? It's hard to believe that it was less than two weeks ago at one of his rallies, the president of the United States said of the coronavirus and the Democrats, This is their new hoax. Well, on Friday afternoon, he finally declared it a national emergency, Donald Trump style. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Two very big words. The action I am taking will open up access to up to $50 billion of very importantly, very important and a large amount of money for states and territories and localities in our shared fight against this disease. In furtherance of the order, I'm urging every state to set up emergency operation centers. Of- huh? You have to wonder if he even looked at those words before reading them out loud, standing at the podium in the Rose Garden Friday afternoon. But the orange menace proved he has learned nothing from his massive mistakes and missteps over the past two weeks, as evidenced by his answer to the question about taking responsibility for the botched rollout of coronavirus testing. Uh, Dr. Fauci said earlier this week that the lag in testing was, in fact, a failing. Do you take responsibility for that? And when can you guarantee that every single American who needs a test will be able to have a test? What's the date of that? Yeah, no, I don't take responsibility at all because we were given a uh, a set of circumstances and we were given rules, regulations and specifications from a different time. Uh, wasn't meant for this kind of uh, an event uh, with the kind of numbers that we're talking about. And what we've done is redesigned it very quickly with the help of the people behind me. And we're now in very, very strong shape. I think we'll be announcing, as I said, Sunday night. And uh, this will start very quickly, and we will have, we'll have the ability to do uh, in the millions uh, over a very, very quick period of time. Donald Trump has obviously never heard of Harry Truman, and the buck stops here. But that's not the only thing he won't take responsibility for. Yamish Alcindor of the PBS NewsHour tried to ask him about shuttering the office responsible for pandemic preparedness two years ago. And again, he blamed everyone else. First question is, you said that you don't take responsibility, but you did disband the White House pandemic office and the officials that were working in that office left this administration abruptly. So what responsibility do you take to that? And the officials that worked in that office said that you that the White House lost valuable time because that office wasn't disbanded. What do you make of that? Well, I just think it's a nasty question because what we've done is, uh, and Tony has said numerous times that uh, we've saved thousands of lives because of the quick closing. Uh, and when you say me, I didn't do it. Uh, we have a group of people. I could, I could ask perhaps my administration, but I could perhaps ask uh, 
Tony about that because I don't know anything about it. I mean, you say you say we did that. I don't know anything you, about it. You don't know We're about, spending, the, no, about the reorganization know. that it's, happened it's at the, the National it's Security It's the administration. Council. Perhaps they do that. You know, people yeah, let they, people go. You used to be with a different newspaper than you are now. You know, things like that happen. But this was a, okay. this was an organization. Please, go ahead. We're doing a great job. Let me tell you, these professionals behind me and the these great, incredible doctors and business people, the best in the world, and I can say that, whether it's retailers or or labs or anything you want to say. Go ahead and call me cynical. All you have to do is add a C-Y in front of the Nicole, Sin Nicole. Uh, <laughs> I believe they delayed the question and answer portion of the press conference until after the market closed to allow for a bit of recovery from the week's massive losses because I can't imagine that the market would have reacted positively to those answers. Well, as of press time, there's still no word on any agreement on the legislation that Nancy Pelosi has been working on with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. Now, you're probably wondering, why would Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, be working on a coronavirus relief bill with the Secretary of the Treasury? Well, that's because the great negotiator Donald Trump won't talk to the Speaker of the House. Seriously. Nancy Pelosi has said that the House will vote on the bill with or without Republican cooperation. Uh, But again, it's late on Friday and still no word, even though she and Mnuchin have reportedly talked at least 10 times throughout the day on Friday, including during Donald Trump's Friday afternoon Rose Garden press event. The bill that they've been working on, allegedly, would institute free coronavirus testing, would put in place two weeks of paid sick leave and up to three months of paid family leave. It would bolster unemployment benefits, ensure school lunches for those who need them, and it would boost Medicaid funding. This legislation would, reportedly, come to the House floor under a fast-track process that requires a two-thirds majority. In other words, it's expected to pass with big margins. All this happens as we are in uncharted territory. In a single day on Thursday, Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League, and Major League Soccer joined the NBA in suspending all of professional sports. The NCAA, after first announcing that March Madness would proceed in empty arenas, canceled the tournaments altogether. Disneyland and Disney World announced their closing. Broadway is dark. School districts are joining universities by shuttering buildings and offering some classes online. Conventions and conferences are canceled. All concerts around the country put on by the country's biggest concert promoter, Live Nation, are on hold. St. Patrick's Day parades in New York, Chicago, and Boston, which typically attract millions of people, have all been canceled. Parks and zoos and museums are announcing closures. Yes, America is shutting down like dominoes falling. And on Wednesday night, the president delivered a rare Oval Office address to the nation, ostensibly to calm the public, but as we now know, it had the opposite effect, sending stock futures plummeting. And so on Thursday, the market suffered its worst plunge since 1987's Black Monday crash, nosediving more than 2,300 points. That's 10% in one day, even after the Fed injected $1.5 trillion 
and it didn't even register a blip in terms of relief. Now, on Friday afternoon, there was a rebound of sorts. But again, as I said earlier, I have a feeling they timed it so the question and answer session happened after the market closed. Because I have a feeling that Donald Trump's answers to those questions would have sent the market tumbling yet again. This roller coaster ride is far from over. Probably the biggest source of frustration for Americans is the disinformation campaign coming from the top. The president himself continues to lie about the availability of tests for the virus here in the United States, forcing the nation's top infectious disease doctor, Anthony Fauci, to proclaim in a House hearing on Thursday a system-wide failure. The system is not really geared to what we need right now, what you are asking for. That is a failing. And a that, failing, yes. It, it is a failing. I mean, let's so. admit it. The fact is, the way the system was set up is that the public health component that Dr. Redfield was talking about was a system where you put it out there in the public and a physician asks for it and you get it. The okay. idea of anybody getting it easily, the way people in other countries are doing it, we're not set up for that. Do I think we should be? Yes, but we're not. If we can believe those numbers, the CDC has tested just over 11,000 specimens for the virus so far. That's a stunningly small number, even more so when you consider that multiple specimens are needed for each patient. And by way of comparison, South Korea is testing nearly 20,000 patients each day. Aye. And while citizens all over the country are complaining that they're unable to get the test, Donald Trump and Mike Pence, who were both exposed last weekend at Mar-a-Lago to the Brazilian president's press aide, who has since tested positive for the coronavirus, both have refused to get tested and continue to act irresponsibly and with impunity, likely spreading the contamination to all with whom they come in contact. In fact, at Friday afternoon's press conference, they were shaking hands all around. It's absolutely mind-blowing. So as we've been warned by the people who we trust, things are probably going to get a lot worse before they get better. And we're all likely to be hunkering down for probably the next couple of weeks or so. So here is my public plea. This is a great time to pay a quick visit to your local animal shelter to adopt a pet. The World Health Organization just announced that there is no evidence that dogs or cats can be infected with the new coronavirus. And with people staying home for a couple of weeks, the animals stuck in shelters are even more vulnerable to further neglect. Since you'll be home anyway, this really is a great time to adopt a new pet because you'll have a couple of weeks to bond with them. So I volunteer every weekend at the Broward County, Florida, Animal Care and Adoption Center in Fort Lauderdale. I walk the dogs, I get them exercise, and I help match the right dog with the right family to get them adopted. I'll be there this weekend. So I beg you, if you've ever even considered adopting a dog or a cat, this is a great time to do it. Some of the shelters will be closed to the public for a while. Please try to get them out of there before that happens. And it probably will make you feel better, too. Save them, and I promise it'll save you, too. All right, we'll take a quick time out, come back on the other side 
with my conversation with Lawrence O'Donnell. Let's get our minds off of the coronavirus for a little while, okay? All right. I'm Nicole Sandler of The Nicole Sandler Show, filling in for Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. I bought a bourgeois house in the Hollywood Hills with a trunk load of $100,000 bills. Man came by to hook up my cable TV. We settled in for the night, my baby and me. We switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of The Nicole Sandler Show, filling in today for Brad and Desi. And I thought since everywhere you turn right now is going to be all about coronavirus all the time, that we take a little break from the madness for something completely different. So it was a couple of weeks ago. I was lamenting the state of our news media, such as it is, and, you know, doing my usual complaining about the lack of progressive voices on the public airwaves, and not only the public airwaves, but on cable news, right? It used to be that MSNBC was at least a reliable alternative to the right-wing media bias that we see not only on Fox, but on many of the network newscasts as well. And I had taken notice on my program of the shift from reliable, progressive pundits and guests to an overwhelming majority of never-Trumpers, of people who are former Republicans or current Republicans who just are anti-Trump, and they seem to have found a new home on MSNBC. So instead of representing we, the disenfranchised progressive Democrats, MSNBC seems to be the new meeting place of disenfranchised Republicans. And so it's been a regular recurring bone of contention <laughs> on my show. So about, about two weeks ago, I was out of thin air. I remembered um, uh, an instance watching television where I heard Lawrence O'Donnell proclaim that he was a socialist. And sure enough, I did a little research online and I came up with a number of videos of Lawrence O'Donnell proclaiming that he was indeed a socialist. And so I tweeted something to the effect, 
and wondered where the disconnect came from because of all the anti-Bernie Sanders sentiment expressed on MSNBC. Now, to be honest, I've in recent months really cut back on my viewing of that channel, mostly out of disgust. So I I don't watch as often as I used to. And frankly, I was never a big fan of Lawrence O'Donnell's show. So I'm not, you know, what you'd call a super fan. But I did call him out and I did publicly on Twitter ask why, if he is a self-proclaimed socialist, is he and his network so down on Bernie Sanders? And to my surprise, he engaged with me. But as you know, these kind of back and forth uh, dialogues on Twitter are not very constructive. And I, and I fault myself for that as well. And so finally, I, I said to him on Twitter that we're really not getting anywhere. I invited him on my show. And much to my surprise, again, he accepted. And sure enough, our scheduled conversation on the air on my program happened this past week. It was on Wednesday, March 11th, that Lawrence O'Donnell called in live to my program as it aired, and we had what turned out to be a wonderful conversation, not only about socialism, but yes, we went there, but about the role of media in today's political climate, about MSNBC and Comcast's ownership thereof specifically, and of Lawrence O'Donnell and his view on the role of media in today's political climate and a whole lot more. So I figured that while everything, everywhere we turn right now is dealing with the coronavirus, that we'd take the next half hour or so and listen to a what I think was a fascinating conversation with Lawrence O'Donnell about media in 21st century America. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And so the phone rang, I answered, and I thanked Lawrence for being willing to call in and engage with me. Oh, I'm really, really glad to be able to do it. And uh, socialism in particular is a difficult subject (laughs) to be (laughs) thorough about in the Twitter limitation, that's for sure. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So the the way this conversation started was, I have it it unfolded right here on my desktop, and it was February 25th, so it it was two and a half weeks ago or so. And I tweeted out, don't I recall Lawrence proudly proclaiming on the air, I am a socialist. And then because I tend to look, I think social media does this and I'm not making excuses. I can be a horrible bitch on Twitter. I think it's something about the 280 characters and 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 the um, uh, the 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 platform. And again, I, I'm not making excuses. It, I'm, I, it's, it's a horrible thing. And I let it get the best of me sometimes because then I wrote what happened. Was he ordered to tow the Comcast line to be anti Bernie, too? And, and I let my frustration get the best of me, Lawrence, because frankly, and I'm sure you've heard it from other people, the, 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 the overriding sentiment on MSNBC lately seems to be very anti-Bernie Sanders. Um, and so I, 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 I pushed it off on you when I was trying to ask you a question about socialism. And so that's where I want to start today, if that's all right. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So you did. You, you... And, by, and by the way, I understand all of that. And I, uh, and I, I get how all of the feelings flow on Twitter. And uh, I've practiced uh, ignoring a lot of those feelings. And, but, but at the same time, trying to stay alert enough to pay attention to the expression of one of those feelings uh, from someone I respect. And so that's, and so that's where I will engage. Uh, when I, you know, when I started on Twitter, which is now 
about nine years ago. Mm. Um, I was highly amused by by right wingers who really hate me, and <laughs> I really kind of wanted to engage with them, and I was advised not to because it it just encourages and gets them more more followers uh, and mm. stuff. But so I, I've never I've never really done that a tiny bit. Um, but but my engagement with you is is the kind of you know, I, I sensed there was a zone of disagreement there or that was worthy of discussion. Well, you know? thank you. I, I, I appreciate you seeing through my snarkiness and bitchiness, which, you know, sometimes uh, overtakes my better judgment. So um, I appreciate that. But you did. I mean, I do remember years ago you proclaiming yeah. on the air that you were a socialist. And in fact, I went back and I, and I pulled a couple of clips and I found one in which you were you were um, sort of debating. Glenn Greenwald and here's it's a quick 17 second clip and here's what you said hi Glenn unlike you I am not a progressive I am not a liberal who's so afraid of the word that I had to change my name to progressive I'm not either liberals amuse me I am a socialist I live to the extreme left right the extreme left of you mere liberals okay wow so those are some pretty pretty tough words, Lawrence. So what do you mean when you say you're a socialist and you live to the extreme left of we mere liberals and progressives? Well, I'm, I'm glad there was laughter in that <laughs> Morning Joe panel because uh-huh. I was playing for the comic effect of it, although okay. I do mean it. Uh-huh. And I did certainly spend, um, you know, pretty much every day from my uh, first... Uh, economics course in college, whereupon I discovered that I was a socialist. Um, I, I, it, it was a very lonely rest of the decade uh, with that knowledge, <laughs> and and the, and watching, you know, Michael Dukakis in '88 say mm-hmm. he's not a liberal uh, because he had to say those words he believed, you know, in order to be elected, um, and then watching the word, watching Democrats fear the word liberal so badly. Yeah that they literally changed the name. Right. Now, granted, it harkens back to a predecessor of the second half of the 20th century version of liberal, so there's a legitimate linkage to it, but let's not misunderstand that the word liberal itself had become a, a poison uh, as far as Democrats themselves were concerned after Republicans turned the word into a poison. Right. And, uh, you know, and so... So that's so. I was amused at, at liberals running uh, in terror away from that word and thinking they had found safety in the word progressive, and uh, and that that did amuse me, disappoint me, all sorts of feelings. Um, and so that that part of it is true. I mean, the content of what I said is absolutely true. Um, and so, look, when you when you're in your first economics course in college in the 1970s, and you you come across uh, Samuelson's treatment of uh, socialism in the textbook, and then you have the discussion. You realize, well, geez, all these all these market interventions they're talking about are things that I really like. What does that make me? And and then you know, as you proceed, um, you you are then. Uh, it's then revealed to you that there is, of course, no such thing as a socialist country, you know, anymore. Although there was then, you know, Cuba still was a purely socialist country. Um, North Korea is, presumably. Um, and, 
uh, outside of some black markets, I suppose, that they might have. But that all the rest of the world is a mixed economy, what economists with no emotion whatsoever <laughs> call a mixed economy. And the mix they're referring to, as we all know, is a mix of capitalism and a mix of socialism. And Norway twists the dials slightly differently from the way we do, but it's really only slightly differently. It's not a difference in the nature of things in, in say, Sweden versus New York. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's just a difference of degree. You know, and, and as we have more socialism than some other countries, but most, most of the uh, advanced world certainly has more socialism than we do, and they're doing very well with it. And so, so the truth of it is, uh, as Elizabeth Warren, I think, personifies in a way, um, given that we live in a mixed economy, given that we all in our lives personally embrace aspects of the mixed economy, which is to say we embrace and use aspects of capitalism, we embrace and use aspects of socialism, we all have the choice of saying we're socialists or saying we're capitalists or saying we are socialists and capitalists. Uh, and I chose the one that everyone ignored, right? I chose the one that everyone claimed not to be. You know, uh, I wanted to choose the underrepresented side of the discussion when I started publicly in the 1990s on the McLaughlin group mm -hmm. saying that I'm a socialist. And the first time I ever had to say it publicly was they, they used to do some sort of print brochure for that show, the McLaughlin group. And they and they one of the things they wanted you to fill out in the questionnaire of your bio was um, your your political label, literally label, you know, and so Eleanor Clift would say liberal and Pat Buchanan would say conservative. And, you know, and I looked at that and I went, I'm not any of those things. And, uh, and so I put down European socialists and, and conservatives ever since then thought they had found the Holy grail of proving, you know, that I should be deported. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, John, John McLaughlin and Pat Buchanan, who both worked, uh, you know, for Nixon and, uh, and loved Reagan thought two things about it. They were hugely amused by it. They also thought it was deadly accurate and, and they had no problem, you know, with, with that identification. Um, but anyway, long winded version of, of how we got to my, uh, my embrace of it. And, uh, and parenthetically, my long admiration for Bernie Sanders, a much braver embrace of it because I never said I'm a socialist and then ran for office in the United <laughs> right. States of America. Right. I never thought you could do that. Now, now, let me back up for just a moment, and we'll, we'll get to that. Lawrence O'Donnell is our guest, and not only is he the host of The Last Word on MSNBC, weeknights at 10 p.m. Eastern, but your your whole career, your your basic, you are a Renaissance man. You you've had a career that included being an actor, a producer, a TV writer, most notably for the brilliant series The West Wing. You were a Senate staffer working with Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan and a staff director of the Senate Finance Committee. So your career has spanned um, pretty much the whole gamut. Uh, you've been in in uh, the private sector. You've been in entertainment. You've been in in government and in media. And um, right now you have a very visible perch on the network, the cable network that's supposed to be the, the more, I, I don't want to say it's, you know, the, the Democrats answer to Fox, because it's certainly not that. Um, maybe it used to be. But now I, you know, what the way I look at MSNBC these days is as sort of the home for the never Trumper. It has become the uh, the the 
respite, if you will, for the disaffected Republicans from Bill Kristol to Jennifer Rubin to Nicole Wallace to uh, uh, to to David Jolly to Carlos Corbello. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on. I, I, I even did a thing where I enlisted some listeners to do an audit to show how many never Trumpers permeated the airwaves over there. And it seems like there's been a almost a, 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 a concerted effort to make this Democratic primary the the candidate of choice for those never-Trumpers, the people who, sorry, screwed up the Republican Party so badly that now they're coming to do the same thing to the Democratic Party as a partisan. This is, you know, where my mind goes and where my frustration comes in. And so when I hear you talking so, you know, kindly about Bernie Sanders and his policies, and I know you believe it, you're a socialist, Lawrence O'Donnell, I, I don't understand why all the carrying water against Bernie Sanders. I don't even want to say for Joe Biden or anyone else. It just seems like, my God, there's been this effort working against Bernie on on the airwaves at MSNBC. Well, uh, you know, I uh, I've been in television in a lot of I've been in television in a lot of different venues. Uh, and so one thing I never I've never tried to do is and I, is tell someone in the audience that they're wrong about what they think they're seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody saw an episode that I wrote for the West Wing and hated it, I would I would listen to that, and I wouldn't argue. I I just I know I had a different intent, and that's what she got from it. And okay, I can't I don't control that. Once once it once it's in the TV box and it's sent out there, it's all up to you, totally up to you. So. I'm, I'm not going to in any way contest anything that you just said. I will do this. I, I will give you a frame in which I think people should look at television, especially commercial television. And, and that is to say, it, not every minute of commercial television should be weighed equally. You have to understand that Rachel Maddow, who does not fit the description of anything that you just offered, right? Mm-hmm. Rachel Maddow has a gigantic audience Mm -hmm. on MSNBC. Mm -hmm. It is more than triple uh, everything that happens on Morning Joe, for example. It is quadruple the audience that happens during the day at 2 o'clock or 10 a.m. or, you know, any of that stuff. And the giant audience of MSNBC all occurs in that world that we call primetime, which is true of every single network. And primetime is only three hours. And basically for networks, the way they make their money is they put a bunch of filler to get them up to prime time. That's what they do. And I mean, I'm saying CBS does it during the day. That's what soap operas are. That's what game shows are. I hear you. They don't care about that. I come from radio. And as I tell people, it was always... You know what I mean? So they they don't really make their money They make all their money in prime time. And for a typical network, prime time finances 90% of what the the network does. Mm -hmm. So that's Chris Hayes, Rachel Maddow, and And me, and no one else. That's prime time, okay? And so when you look at what this network has said about itself in prime time and what its choice is in prime time, there's not one person hosting those shows that fits what you were just describing. And so, uh, but I'm not saying, I I don't want to take away the validity of your observation of what this TV means to you when you see it. I, I don't mean to say that at all. But if you see somebody at three o'clock, you know, who, who you hate, 
on MSNBC or you think has said something profoundly stupid, understand that one-tenth of the people who will see Rachel Maddow saying the smartest thing you've heard on TV all day, one-tenth of the people will see that three o'clock thing. Right. Ten times more people will see what happens uh, in prime time. So, you know, I, 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 I get what you're saying and, um, you know, I, I could talk more about my own experience, for example, in the 1990s working in the Senate and working with Republicans and what it means when someone who was your opponent legislatively yesterday uh, on the tax bill becomes your ally on a Medicaid provision the next day and how you treat that. And, you know, my professional experience with that in legislating is you treat it with great welcome and you, you, you don't hold anything against anybody. But, um, you know, pretty much, by the way, Nicole, for everything you say to me, I can go on for like 20 minutes at a time. So I'm, sure I'm trying <laughs> to abridge my answers enough so it. that you, you cover the ground you want to. I, I appreciate it. Lawrence O'Donnell, host of MSNBC's The Last Word is my special guest. I'm Nicole Sandler. We'll be right back with more of our conversation in just a moment on the broadcast. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. We're listening to an interview I conducted on Wednesday with Lawrence O'Donnell, host of The Last Word on MSNBC. It was born out of a discussion on Twitter regarding socialism in which I challenged Lawrence over his past assertions that he is indeed a socialist and my perceived slights of Bernie Sanders, the self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist, in the race for the Democratic nomination for president by the network MSNBC. Lawrence O'Donnell engaged with me on Twitter and then accepted my invitation to come on my show to discuss it. And here... In this next segment, we did indeed discuss Bernie Sanders' decision after his drubbing by Joe Biden on Super Tuesday to stay in the race for at least another week. Lawrence O'Donnell went against most of his colleagues at MSNBC by not calling for Bernie to drop out. In fact, he encouraged him to stay in the race. It sounds like you support Bernie Sanders. And Lawrence, I got to give you so much credit because this morning, as I was thinking in in my deep depression, that maybe it is time based on what happened last night for Bernie to 
drop out as much as I hate it because I just I went on a whole rant a few minutes ago about that I think we need to revamp our entire primary system because I think it's insane that most of the country has not weighed in yet. And it's crazy that you know, Iowa and uh, New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada get to determine who our nominee is. Um, I think the the entire country should be involved. I think we should maybe have a month long um, uh, across the board national primary mail in uh, primary race where everybody gets to vote and everybody has a say. I hate this system. But that said, that with the goal being get Donald Trump the hell out of office, maybe it is time to consolidate. Um, a lot of people this morning were calling for Bernie to drop out. I didn't do that. But you pushed back on that idea. And I really appreciate it because, frankly, I turned on MSNBC this morning and I turned on CNN and that was all I heard. It's time for him to get out. You were you're singing a different song. Yeah, you know that show that I used to do in the '90s, the McLaughlin Group, is was the original poison. No one we didn't quite realize it at the time because it was sort of entertaining, and SNL made fun of it all the time. It was a, like a, a goofy thing to watch, you know. But John, at the end of the show, John McLaughlin had this round that he simply turned to every member of the panel and just said predictions. And suddenly, Eleanor Clift had to predict something that was going to happen. And Pat Buchanan had to predict something that was going to happen. And, you know, that's like asking historians to predict things. They're not good at it. And so the prediction fever has completely overtaken this field. And it has to be resisted. And I have to resist it in myself. And I, and I hate it. And so the reason today everybody wants to jump on, you know, Bernie should get out is that what they're doing is they're jumping forward, right? They want to go ahead of where the story is at this minute, you know, especially at like 11 a.m. this morning uh-huh. when you haven't heard a word from Bernie yet, right. you know, just, just shut up and wait for <laughs> Bernie and see what he says. You know, for all you know, he might say he's not running that he's, his cardiologist told him to stop to whatever. I don't care. But, but, wait for him to talk and just cover this in the present tense. And so that's where all that comes from is this fever to be the first to say what's going to happen next and all that stuff. But my feeling about this is is a multi-level of feelings about it. Um, I do think there are times when a candidate staying in a race can be harmful to no point. And my classic example of that Uh, was John Edwards when he stayed in against Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And it became very clear, and I I wrote this on Huffington Post at the time, and then I uh, I, I said it, uh, I I got in, uh, the MSNBC audience at the time didn't really like that I said this, but I said John Edwards should get out because he's just blocking Barack Obama from a straight up contest with Hillary Clinton. That's all he was doing. Edwards did eventually get out. Um, But uh, that's a rare circumstance. That, that's a pretty rare circumstance. The more common circumstances where we are now, which is this one, this one person, there's one person left or there's two people left in the campaign. And at a certain point, one of them is going to stop campaigning. Mm-hmm. And once you're down to two, I firmly believe it is entirely up to that person, to each one of them, to decide when they're getting out. And oh, by the way, both Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden have been here before, both of them have ended 
unsuccessful presidential campaigns. They knew when to do it. They knew why to do it. They knew how to do it. They both did it in exactly the right form. Uh, I'm a big champion of the way Bernie ended his campaign last time uh, and the way he went all the way to June. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, be, and for a lot of reasons that still pertain today. And, and I don't know what happens down the road, but if Bernie Sanders is going to end his campaign again, what he's right about uh, that he said today, indisputably, is that he has this incredible grip on the youth vote in this Democratic primary schedule. Incredible grip. And I was a youth voter. I remember voting for uh, George McGovern. I remember mm. having my heart broken uh-huh. uh, in, in those days, right? And, and, uh, and you need to keep the youth voter as a voter and say this 24-year-old voter is gonna grow up to be a 34-year-old vo- voter. I want you to handle that voter very, 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 very carefully when they're facing disappointment yes. in an election for the first time in their lives or the second time in their lives. And I want that ramp to be as slow down as possible. And oh, by the way, there's another very important strategic thing about this. Joe Biden is not ready to be standing alone on the presidential <laughs> campaign stage oh, no. against Donald Trump. Barack Obama was not ready to be standing alone on the presidential stage in 2008. Hillary Clinton uh, did the right thing. And oh, by the way, it would have been right the other way around. It would have been right for Obama to keep Hillary Clinton accompanied in effect on that stage. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, you know, James Carville said this, that keeps saying this yeah. thing about, you know, you've got to concentrate on November. Well, no kidding. Every single primary voter is concentrating on November. Yes. And Bernie voters, Bernie voters believe that Bernie is the best way to win in November. Absolutely. Um, and Biden voters, voters believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're concentrating on it in exactly the same way that, you know, the Boston Red Sox are concentrating on the World <laughs> Series in spring training. Yes, yes, they are. Okay, but Lawrence, I got to ask you, you brought him up. James Carville, really? CNN got smart and dumped him. He is he is irrelevant. He comes on, he's a raving lunatic, and he totally badmouths Bernie Sanders on your air. Doesn't that piss you off? Not I mean, too, wait, 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 wait. It's not mine. Okay, uh, he hasn't put on my show. Okay. The only air that I control is the one that I make. Gotcha. But yeah, let's. But yes, on MSNBC. Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean that. I that I will defend uh, happily. So look, everybody has their own responsibility as viewers, right? So you watch that. You think he's wrong. I don't watch it. it. I turn. Terms. I turn the channel when I mean, he comes you, on. You, you, to I, be okay, honest, so you also think he's crazy, but you definitely think he's wrong, right? Yeah. I also think he's wrong. But I don't mind hearing it, especially since I have a forum in which I can say I think he's wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and, and make the opposite case, uh, you know, as I'm, I will tonight. Um, so I think he absolutely has earned a place in this discussion as a professional in a presidential campaign that was successful or, or even unsuccessful. I've never worked in a presidential campaign. So James absolutely belongs in it. And, I, you know, I had an amazing experience with him. 
and Steve Schmidt on election night 2016 when we were, I was at one anchor desk by myself with those two guys, mm-hmm. and it was separated from everybody else, so we had our own little room. And they would cut to us every hour for, I don't know, five minutes at a time. In the meantime, James is on the phone to people in Broward County who he knows, and Steve Schmidt, Republican uh, presidential campaign veteran, is texting people that he knows in South Carolina. And those two guys knew before anyone that Donald Trump was going to win. And James, frankly, and this part, you know, this was never televised, you know, because it's when we're off camera, but James is on the phone talking to somebody in South Carolina, or I think North Carolina, who says X. And James hangs up the phone and says to Steve Schmidt, if Hillary's losing there, then that means she's going to lose Wisconsin. And he, you know, like he knew this county in North Carolina tells him what's going to happen in Wisconsin. So I wish people could have seen that because that is the most brilliant version of both of those guys as campaign, uh, you know, experts that I've ever seen. And I get that. It was like right in the boiler room of it. I get that. But let me give you the, the, the vantage point of a viewer who's a political junkie who does a daily talk mm-hmm. show, right? Who, yeah. who, right? And, and I see Steve Schmidt, the guy responsible for giving us Sarah Palin, who is gone mm-hmm. to as an expert on who, we sh- who the Democrats should elect. I'm sorry. He is the oh, guy yeah. who no. gave us Sarah Palin. I, I, but I agree with you about that, but not, I don't, see, I just, the Sarah Palin thing, I just put out of my mind. Um, I, I do and I don't because... It's one of those things. I have people I, I know, for example, who are just about stark raving mad, who I've known all my life, uh-huh. who just like 99% of the time what they say is crazy. And then, then one out of 100 times they say a very smart thing. And, I, and it drives me nuts because I can't completely ignore them. I'm not saying that about Steve at all. I think Steve says a lot of smart things. However, I have not taken any guidance at any moment from any of the former Republicans about who the Democrats should nominate or how they should nominate or how they should run their campaign. I, I get how much Republican, you know, kind of old Republican wishful thinking they have in the way they look at the way the Democratic Party does things and the way liberals do things. And so I just, you know, I just throw it away. I just, I, I listen to, the, in, in the next, you know, sequence that that same person might say something smart that I like. And so, you know, I I get the feeling. I understand that feeling of wanting to throw stuff at the TV, and I just <laughs> I I guess I'm just more patient, you know. And I just kind of listen to the thing I disagree with, and then I hear a thing I agree with, and then I you know I don't I also have my personal likes and dislikes, you know. Like I really just don't like X, so mm-hmm. I don't really care what he said. I'm a, I'm human like that right. too, right? Yeah, and I just don't care what right. they say ever, and I right. I want them to be stupid and wrong, you know, and and. So I have that too. And that's part of the spectatorism of TV. You know, you do get to hate what's on your TV. You get right. to hate watch. You know, I, there are TV dramas that I hate watch because of some of the people involved in it who I know. Or otherwise, there are TV comedies that I hate watch. There, there's, you know, so I get that whole thing. And um, I, I take this stuff, um, I just live at more of a distance from this communication, I suppose, that's on cable news right but but you you live there i mean that that's your yeah yeah what i mean is what i mean is it doesn't affect me it's not like you're telling me you know my my child is stupid you know it's like it's not right it's not a thing that's close to me and also i have no 
I don't have a lot of high regard for cable news. I mean, if, you know, to that great <laughs> philosophical question of the 21st century, where would we be if, 20, if cable news had never been invented? Better off, don't probably, ask me, right? don't ask me to make the case that, uh, oh, it would be terrible if, it, right, if no. the thing didn't exist. I can't. I don't know how right. to mount the society's better off, you know, because of cable news argument. I don't know how to do that. And, and I get that you're not Phil Griffin and you don't call the shots there. But I do wonder who who oversees or if there is a quota, for instance, for the, you know, the never Trumpers versus the, the actual like Democrats and and, and the cap, de- the near Tandon kind of Democrats versus real progressives. The real progressives, I would say, as a viewer, are sorely underrepresented. And maybe that's because I am a progressive uh, bordering on socialist. And I, I you know, I want to hear my views represented. And more and more when I turn on that channel, I'm seeing the never Trumper viewpoint overwhelmingly represented. And so I'm wondering, do you get to decide who the guests are on your show, Lawrence, or is that dictated to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. Rachel does. Um, I assume Chris Hayes does. I've never discussed it, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he does. Um, I, I'm not sure that's true through the rest of the day. Mm. And also, by the way, trying to book stuff during the day is much harder. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it's, it, it's just harder. And uh, so booking is a, its own little weird thing, you know, that, that is a lot of it has to do with who, literally, literally who's available. I right. mean, you know, so, you know, there'll be nights when you see, I don't know, you know, maybe no women on my show. You know, mm-hmm. we are aware of that if that happens. And it's because we ran into just some booking brick walls and, and it and for the especially for the particular subjects, you know, like for this particular subject, you know, we couldn't find anybody available tonight and all that stuff. So uh, you know, you can you can overthink. I think your point is well taken, and it, and I, I get it. Uh, but ev- but every once in a while, it's really just the oddity of the of the booking. I hear you. Well, I'll throw this out there. Um, I'm I'm in Broward County, Florida. Since you brought it up, that's where I grew up. Down yes. here. Lived in Los Angeles for many years. Did radio in L.A. during my heyday. Uh, was on Air America with Rachel. Filled in for her many times. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. when Air America went off the air 10 years ago this past January, I moved my show online and I've been doing it here ever since. So, you know, I'm relegated to online because the the progressive voices have been, you know, been been just taken off the, the public airwaves. They don't exist anymore. So if you ever need a progressive female voice. Uh, have Skype will travel. I'm here. I'm always available. Happy to join you anytime, Lawrence. Um, and happy to air to add a progressive um, air to your program if if you ever need it. Just, uh, just offering. Uh, well, you're 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 officially on the list. I've just <laughs> awesome. handwritten you awesome. onto the list here. <laughs> and Lisa Graves is one of my favorite people in the world. So we have that. In I I have never met. Uh, her. Yes, but, you have. Uh, She's been uh, on your show many times. Lisa Graves from uh, former... Oh, I'm sorry. You know what I thought? I, I thought you said Lisa Pay. I thought you said I another name. Yeah, Lisa, she's great. She's she is awesome. fantastic. And, and you know I, how that happened? That was... I've done this a few times. Uh, Mika Oyang and others uh-huh. where I just say, you know, they're, they're coming up with the usual suspects for mm-hmm. booking. You know, And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. There has to be a former Senate Judiciary Committee That's staffer, right. you know, like me, like a, I'm a former Finance Committee staffer. Right. I'm not the only one. You know, the trouble is with most of them, they're lobbyists, yeah. right? And right. I don't want lobbyists, right? right? right. So 
so you you want to get people who are associated with a, an academic institution or something like that, you know, or just have nothing to do with lobbying. And so most of those former staffers become lobbyists. But uh, it it drove me nuts, and I said, come on, there has to be uh, former intelligence committee staffers, and they. They went to work and they found Mika Oyang, who I didn't know, mm. put her on the air that night, you know, and, and now she's on the payroll, you yeah, know, and, right. um, and, you know, Lisa Graves is one of those people where I said, come on, you got to find so me. She's so smart for, and you know, so good. Ron Klain cannot be the only former <laughs> right. Senate Judiciary Committee Right, staffer, and you know what? You know, Lisa's a progressive. There. So she's got that going for her, too. And she's just yeah, she super is. smart. So yeah. I appreciate you having her on. So those are the voices I want to hear amplified more and more. Lawrence O'Donnell, I've held you longer than I was supposed to. I so, so appreciate your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I thank you so much for for being willing to engage with me. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I really enjoyed it and happy to do it again uh, whenever schedules allow. Thank you. And and we have something else in common. We're both Scorpios. I'm November 4th. You're November 7th. So we got something I don't have a birthday. I don't have a birthday, Nicole. <laughs> I just do not. I don't. Okay. You know, like when, I didn't at, say anything about we years. Were, when, when we were at West Wing, one of the things that happens on those kinds of shows and other TV series I've been on is whenever anyone has a birthday a birthday cake comes into the writer's room, okay? Mm-hmm. And, or down to, the, down to the set or wherever it is. So whenever I was working on those shows, they would just ask you your birthday, you know, at the beginning of a season. And I always lied and I always said it was June 7th because oh, they're, they're always in, hi- <laughs> they're in hiatus in June, right? And so right. there was never a birthday cake. Uh, and there has never been a birthday cake brought into any workplace or it's never been acknowledged in any workplace oh, I've funny. ever been in. Oh, how funny. I don't have birthdays because that would mean I'm aging, right? Right. I can't have well, I didn't. I didn't mention a year. I just said the month and the day. <laughs> so we're November babies, which is you know we're tough, we're strong, we're passionate, we're we're opinionated, we're 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 sometimes feisty, and so you know it explains a lot of things. Anyway, Lawrence O'Donnell, it has been a real pleasure. I I, I so enjoyed this half hour. So thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole, very much. Thank you. You take care, okay. Lawrence O'Donnell of MSNBC, and he earned himself a new fan. Actually, I think a few. Class act. And I, I, for one, am impressed. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that helps. In a day like today, after a week like this, after a month like this, after the beginning of a year like this, and who would have ever thought that three months into 2020, we'd be longing for 2019 again? Certainly not me. All I can say is stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stay home if at all possible. As I said at the beginning of the show, this is all uncharted territory. So we need to do what we have to do, and that's take care of one another and get Donald Trump the hell out of office as soon as possible. Thank you for listening. I'm Nicole Sandler. You can always find me at NicoleSandler.com. While you're hunkering down for the next couple of weeks, I invite you to check out my past shows. My program is not behind a paywall. You can visit NicoleSandler.com. Click on my show archives. Have a field day. There's probably 20 years worth of programming there. None of it's behind a paywall. So explore, enjoy. If you like what you hear, maybe you'll subscribe. Or even better, pitch in a couple of bucks to help support my efforts over here. Thanks to Brad and Desi for uh, inviting me back. 
hopefully they were able to go out and find some toilet paper and other <laughs> household cleaning supplies while they were off today. Uh, I don't know why they were off today, but yeah, that's as good a reason as any. So stay safe, hunker down, make love, not war. And as Brad always says, good luck, world. Good luck, world.